Welcome to Voices of Clarity. Together, we will learn about kids and mental health from experts within the field. Let's get started. Hi, I'm Dr. Josh Essery, and I'm the Director of Outpatient Clinical Services at Clarity Child Guidance Center. We are here today with our first um, ever panel discussion, Conversations with Clarity. We have uh, assembled a diverse group of professionals who work in different settings with children, and we are going to have a conversation about anxiety, COVID-19, uh, and the return back to school this year. And so first, we have Dr. Jacqueline Herrera, who is here. She is our postdoctoral fellow at Clarity Child Guidance Center and also works with the San Antonio Mobile Wellness Collaborative and provides school-based services um, at various locations uh, throughout the city. We also have Lisa Rinaldo, who is here uh, as the education, from the Education Service Center from Region 20, um, and she is a consultant to over 95 ISDs and charter schools. And lastly, we have Dr. Dina Tom, who's an associate professor of pediatrics at UT Health San Antonio, and pro she provides primarily inpatient pediatric services. So thank you all for being here today. So to kind of get started, maybe we could start by, I, I did uh, kind of a, a brief introduction, but maybe could I hear a little bit more about the setting that you're working in, um, what, your, what your role is with children and families now, and um, even if you could say a little bit about how you've seen things change since COVID. I know that's a, a broad question, but I would imagine over the past two years, we've seen a lot of changes. And so would you like to get us started, Dr. Herrera? Yeah, of course. Um, so I work in the outpatient portion of um, Clarity Child Guidance Center. Um, and typically my work there is both um, therapy with individuals and families, um, as well as psychological assessments. Um, and um, also we do intakes, um, it's called First Step for families that are seeking services. So different array of um, services that we provide. And I also, um, as Dr. Esther had mentioned, I um, go out to, I'm specifically located in the South Sand District. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we've been providing services there over a year as part of Clarity, um, but this, um, you know, this year we've been we've been able to expand a bit more and cover some more districts. And um, so, in terms of what I've seen um, that's kind of stood out um, in some of the work that I've been doing, it's it is you know, definitely a lot of anxiety that I noticed that has kind of come up more with with kids. I think prior to COVID, I was seeing maybe more depression or some trauma responses, but um, it feels very specific. So some of the children just worried about their own health worried about um, the health of their family members, um, just kind of a, and some more somatic complaining as well um, than before. Um, and then I think another big piece that has um, stood out is just loss. Mm. Um, that's been a really, um, just a significant part that I, not only affects the families, but even the clinicians that are working with these families that, you know, we've worked with these parents and, you know, some of them aren't here anymore because of COVID. And so kind of navigating through through those challenges, I think it's some of the most significant changes that I've seen. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Um, I'm Lisa Ranallo, as uh, Josh said, and I'm a school counseling consultant at Education Service Center for Region 20. And so Texas has 20 regions for the purposes of public education. And uh, we are 20 in San Antonio. And um, as he mentioned, we service about 95 ISDs and charter schools. 
And so as one of the school counseling consultants, I work with all of the school counselors in our region. And um, I've been there for eight months, so I've been for the back to school portion of it. I'm a school counseling consultant. However, I was on a high school campus in the San Antonio area for 13 and a half years prior to wow. starting at Region 20. So when we actually went into lockdown, I was there, you know, mm -hmm. taking my laptop home, not knowing if we'd come back over spring break or not. Mm -hmm. And then working with students virtually for several weeks after that until we did return uh, to our campuses, even though the students did not. So I think initially there was a lot of anxiety, um, primarily from our students who already had anxiety. And so it was elevated, exacerbated. Mm -hmm. And then as things continued, we started to see more students develop anxiety, um, health concerns, family concerns, mm -hmm. concerns over um, safety. Mm -hmm. And then we also had the loss of social interaction, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. caused, um, you know, many of our students uh, really can't afford to be in isolation, and yet they were. And so that was uh, very difficult for them to deal with. We also saw a loss of hope for the future, especially with our juniors and seniors. What is the future holding for me? What is this gonna look like for me? How does joining the military look? What is going to college going to, you know, what is the economy gonna be? How will I have a job? And so those um, normal kind of post-secondary anxieties were exacerbated by the pandemic and then, um, just working with the counselors and listening to what they've said, the return to school has been very difficult. Um, we've got little ones who've never been in school before, right? And so they, you know, did kindergarten virtually <laughs> and now they're in first grade and yeah. they're learning how to be in yes. school. So I've got my yeah. elementary counselors uh, working uh. with those little ones pretty heavily right now. Um, and then we've got just we're, you know, we're, we're in a place where everybody in the world is sort of in the same boat, but the academic mm -hmm. um, expectations are very high this year. We've got wow. to catch them up. We've got mm -hmm. to stay on our mm -hmm. pacing calendars. We've got to make sure they've learned, you know, not just what they're supposed to learn this year, but catch them up from last year. So the teachers have yeah. increased stresses and pressures and anxiety. And I that's, would imagine. You know, the, that's filtering down into the students. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a, it's a high stress climate in any school mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. How about you, Dina? Hi, so um, I'm Dina Tom. I'm a um, associate professor at UT Health and I treat children in the hospital. So I'm a pediatrician that only works with kids in the hospital. So I have a unique view um, of, of COVID in that I see it when children are sick enough to be admitted. And, you know, the obvious things like in the news where they talk about children being admitted with uh, multi-inflammatory syndrome, which is uh, a post-COVID complication in children. We, are, we have seen that over the past year. Yeah. We've seen, um, we know and see that suicidal ideation and attempts have gone up in yeah. the past year and a half, um, mostly with kind of preteens, early teenagers and um, teenage kids. So we're seeing, unfortunately, a, a lot more of that during COVID. And then we see a lot more of neglect. Um, we see 
children who are coming in with what we call failure to thrive or they're underweight, they're not eating. Um, We are seeing physical, emotional, mental abuse because we have families who, you know, the disparity between families of lower income who have less ability to care for their children, um, they work daily, they can't work from home and their children are unfortunately in situations that may not be the safest and it's just out of necessity really and so we see that um more of those those traumas and those the effects of that in the hospital where we're treating children who have um, been victims um, survivors of abuse and um you know i think that COVID has presented a lot of unique challenges for families that we're seeing including you know, I'm a mother of a now first grader, so yeah. my child learning how to read on Zoom was not going to work. Right, right. But we, uh, yeah, in the hospital, I think that's mostly what we're seeing. And we also are taking care of migrants yes. and immigrants who are coming, which ha- we've had those for years. But, you know, in the last few years, those numbers have gone up and then add COVID to it. Yes. So it is much more complicated. Absolutely. So, you know, it's so such an important point I mean, that everybody has made. I think for me, one of my primary roles is actually as an administrator of, a, of an outpatient clinic. And um, what, what many of you said I could kind of resonate with, I mean, something you, you said um, was the not knowing. The not knowing has contributed to so much anxiety um, oftentimes information can really reduce anxiety. And for so much of this pandemic, we didn't have information and still lack some information about some basic things. And so it's really hard to respond um, to questions or even fears when you don't really know true answers or honest answers. And that's impacted, I think, all of us. I mean, it's impacted kids, it's impacted parents, but it's also impacted those of us who serve you know, children and, and, and their families. And one of the things that I've been primarily focused on is how do we take care of each other through this pandemic so that we can care best for the kids. Um, and so I wonder if you could you could say a little bit about how the pandemic has either impacted you, your colleagues, um, and you know how it is uh, that you all have cared for yourself through the pandemic. That's a great question. Um, I don't mind taking that because it sure. and it has been a challenge. I think probably with most people it's trial and error and what seems to work. But, you know, the reality with everybody being home with their families yes. and having the challenge of um, not having that separation from that allows you to have a break, even though we, you know, some people may grumble. I do sometimes about going to work and the children having to go to school. That is so important for our mental health, that Mm -hmm. socialization, that separation from our families to go and socialize in the world and come back. We don't really have that. Um, And so that adjustment has been difficult, I think, for everyone. And so I think it's through that that trial and error. There have definitely been weeks where I'm uh, on service in the hospital for seven days and my husband is you know, the one in charge for the kids for the week. And it's very stressful to go to the hospital, dress in all the PPE, do all of that, um, and then come home and be a mom. Um, And everybody has that. It's not unique to me. So I think in terms of taking care of yourself is that we've tried 
to have quiet time. Yes. (laughs) Everybody. And we, you know, and really embracing that, you know, maybe my son needs a little bit of quiet time. Maybe mommy needs a little bit of quiet time. And that's something in our house that's not been a bad thing. It's not time Uh out. It's, Uh it's not forced. It's recognizing that maybe you're a little overwhelmed and you need some space and then allowing someone to have that space has been Uh really important. Uh Um, I also think that having a, you know, in the beginning of the pandemic, we called them pods or Uh people that you interact with that are your people. And we have found that we've gotten closer to certain family members or friends that we see a lot more and have children that are our children's ages to allow for that socialization, just expanding our little bubble. And um, that provides, you know, a bit of relief for the parents. It provides some socialization for our children but those things have been really important because the traditional ways we think of caring for ourselves, like, yes. you know, going on trips uh-huh. or, uh, you know, going into a spa or something yes. like that. Those yes. things don't really, you know, they're not really conducive to COVID. Yeah, you can't, you can't really do those things now. And one of the things that I'm hearing is that you're, you're really embracing um, some awareness of the context and how the environment is impacting you both personally and as a family. And you've implemented some really intentional efforts to have safe community throughout the process so that you don't have to feel as isolated or alone. And that that's really, really helped with dealing with some of the really understandable stressors. I think something else that's coming to my mind is how normal of an experience anxiety is. I think for, <laughs> for, um, for many years, when, when people would talk about anxiety, it was almost something like there was something wrong with you or something that um, you experienced that you needed uh, medical care for. And sometimes you do need help and, and professional help for anxiety. But the reality is anxiety is a pretty normative human experience. And we all experience anxiety on some level every day. I mean, this panel being filmed is not necessarily uh, immune to that, right? And so the idea of understanding and recognizing our context and how many things have changed over the past two years, not just for our kids, but for us, because our kids are looking to us for some sense of safety, some sense of stability, and some sense of modeling. So thanks for sharing both kind of your personal experience as well as how it has been for you uh, with your family. I think for me, I don't mind sharing that I live with obsessive compulsive disorder. Gotcha. So, and like you mentioned, not getting alone time. The opposite (laughs) of that is having nothing but alone time and living with your anxiety. Um, And so when lockdown first happened, you know, for those first few weeks, it was like an extended spring break and people were were okay with that, although (laughs) we were worried about what was coming and we didn't really know. And then as it lingered, you know, my closest friends are married with children, whereas I live alone. And so they wanted that break. And I was like, I'll like, I'll trade you for an hour or two because <laughs> yeah. I'd like some interaction. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, you know, managing that and knowing that I work better with the routine uh-huh. and I work better when I go to work as opposed to staying at home and not being able to do those things in the beginning was a challenge for me. And I had to, um, you know, this kind of take my, like you said, a pod, right? Mm-hmm. A group of mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. that I, you know, we agreed that we would interact with each other as safely as we could. And that included, you know, my parents, um, my brother, my niece, 
but also trying to keep my parents safe because they are in their 70s. Mm -hmm. And then my niece, who is in second grade and not mm -hmm. old enough to be vaccinated yet, mm -hmm. wow. you know, worrying wow. about her mm -hmm. constantly. So yes. there's just this low level, I feel like a fear yes. almost that we mm -hmm. I, I live with all the time, yes. knowing that my actions um, are going to affect the ones that I love if sure. I choose to spend time with them. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to live completely isolated. And so trying to balance regular life with um, pandemic life yes. and make the best decisions and choices that I can. And then I did get COVID early on. Um, well, not early on, but around the holidays and had it for three weeks and still struggle with some lingering gotcha. side effects yeah. um, eight months later. So yeah. there's that balance as well of trying to take care of physical health as well as emotional health. So gotcha. we're all experiencing our own yes. little story yes. and we can relate to each other, but we're also yeah. um, not in exactly the same circumstances. Absolutely. And, and one of the things that you said really made me think about um, the, the experience that our kids have had, which is a sense of isolation and, and sort of that what has been normal to us with our kids going to school, having sports, being able to play with their friends afterwards, that that, that has been really uh, disrupted throughout the past two years. And routines and structure and whatever quote unquote normalcy is, is really essential to care for our own mental health. And that has been so disrupted by this pandemic. And now we're at a place where we're, we're returning back to school and trying to figure out what that looks like. So mm -hmm. thanks for sharing. Yeah. Um, it's great to hear how, you know, everyone has kind of managed their own way of self-care and kind of navigating different things. And um, for me, when COVID, um, you know, happened and there was a lot of anxiety at work, um, I came here to complete my um, psychology residency. And so my family is out of state. And um, initially, there was just a lot of concern. Should we be seeing patients in person? Do we move to telehealth? Do we do telehealth from home? Do you do it from the you know clinic? And so for me, it was really helpful to still maintain um, what we talked about, the routine and the structure of going into work. That was, I think, such a protective factor for me to kind of navigate all these changes through a training year, um, but also still have a little bit of just some of the routine amongst like the unknown. Um, and so, you know, my colleagues really have become just my family. Like, and mm -hmm. it's just been so important in checking in on, you know, on each other and um, even doing little things like we had a door decorating contest last year and just like little things to kind of help morale and, you know, kids enjoy seeing those kind of things. And um, in terms of my own self-care, prior to COVID, I did not realize how busy I was on the weekends. Um, I love to travel. I just was never home. Um, you know, if I wasn't at work, I was out doing something. And so it was kind of a, a pretty big shock to literally be on lockdown. And especially because I was still interacting with people being, as you said, really mindful of what I do. Um, so I feel like I fall into this um, category of people that got a dog and a bike. <laughs> um, so it was, it, was a, it was pretty challenging at first. Um, and like Lisa, I live alone. And so um, it was kind of like, you know, part of my identity was gone. Like I'm the girl that always goes places. And 
um, kind of just wrestling through that and trying to, trying to figure out, you know, what does it mean to slow down and have some quiet time, which I think has been really beneficial. Yeah. Um, so it has really, in that sense, encouraged me to be outdoors more. Um, I have to walk my dog, which sometimes I'm tired, but it turns out we both need it. Um, <laughs> so just different, it's taught me to adjust, I guess, and and also be flexible with what's coming. And, and, and it's really has helped me to slow down um, internally, which I didn't realize how much I needed. And so um, I can definitely see the benefits of that. Um, and just, I think what um, you had said, um, Dean, about being self-aware, um, that has definitely increased through, through this whole process as well. So one of the things I'm thinking about for our kids is how each of you, <clears throat> excuse me, in your in your um, answers have really modeled that we have adapted, that despite mm -hmm. how stressful and how many challenges that this pandemic has brought about, that both individually and as a community, that we figured out a way to stay connected. Mm -hmm. We figured out a way to still do things that are fun, like exercise or uh, get bikes and figure out how to do it safely. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really important message for, for adults mm -hmm. and for us to be able to model for our kids that Life is going to be hard at times and we will have challenges, but we can adapt and we are resilient uh, both individually and, and together. And so I appreciate various things that you all said for that regard. Um, one of the things that I think uh, is really interesting and, and I, I would like to hear more about is the way that we are seeing kids impacted now by a return back to some degree of normalcy, right? So. For two years, we have had some blend of virtual school and at home school. Some have sent their kids, some have not. Um, visits with your doctor, some of them have been virtual, some of them have been at home. But this year, we're mostly everyone is back at school in person. How, how are we seeing kids impacted by this kind of change? And are there any specific um, kind of uh, signs or uh, ways that, that uh, parents at home, teachers or others should be aware of related to that? So I, I think that for many kids, returning to school has been uh, happy because they get to see their friends. Mm -hmm. And whether they realize it or not, they benefit from that schedule and that routine, mm -hmm. um, you know, whether they're even aware of the fact that they do. Um, but for, uh, you know, a large group of, of students, the lack of interaction for that year, you know, 18 months uh, has really wreaked havoc on social skills that were already yeah. mm -hmm. um, maybe a little behind developmentally. Sure. And so there's kind of a, a need for that instruction, which is where, you know, teachers, but also my school counselors come into play with, you know, how do we have conversations with other people mm -hmm. after we haven't really had them mm -hmm. for, for so long? And how do we make friends? Mm -hmm. yeah. And how do we talk to our classmates? And how do we play together on the playground? Mm -hmm. And how do we have interactions, you know, um, after everything for our older kids on social media for so long, how do we get mm -hmm. back to having mm -hmm. some in-person conversations? And it's mm -hmm. just, it's um, for lots of our littles, it's a new skill sure. and then it's a rusty skill yeah. <laughs> for, for our older students. And so while there's a lot of 
happiness um, for many of the kids to just sort of be back and be able to have their classes and their activities and, you know, to the extent that they're allowed to, you know, where, wherever they're in school, um, there is that um, sort of stunted social mm -hmm. development that we're facing now, um, kind of an increase in some negative interactions, some fighting, some bullying we've heard of. Okay. Um, so just, and I think that all stems from an inability to kind of get your feet on solid ground and see where you stand as you come back into this large group of, mm -hmm. of students together. I think what I've noticed, um, especially because I was been working with children before they went back to school, is just a lot of anxiety about returning. Mm -hmm. um, but what stands out the most is um, specifically a group of different children I've worked with are um, embarrassed of what they look like. Um, they are excited to wear the mask because they can hide behind the mask. Um, and that's something that I don't know that I would have thought of unless I was hearing it directly from, from some of the kids. And so um, it just seems like I've noticed some issues with self-esteem, body image. Um, and I had one particular person tell me I was doing great with my body image because um, it was just me, but kind of going back into that bigger pool of other teens and just the natural comparison and along with bullying, it makes it a lot challenging. And so I think in part that has kind of, it's what stood out to me um, with the kids returning back to school. The mask is the new hoodie. Yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so oh, when they had the yeah. hoodie and the mask, uh -huh. they could hide. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So I am um, on the medical advisory committee for my ch children's school. And so I have been going through this journey, you know, navigating school, both at home, virtual school last year, to returning. What's safe? How, how do we implement uh, practices to teach our children that aren't going to be detrimental. And, you know, as a pediatrician from the very beginning, my heart hurt so much because screen time is so, um, sure. such a negative thing for our children's brain development, yeah. especially yeah. younger children. Mm -hmm. And so totally that's why agree. the, you know, our American Academy of Pediatrics really has said no more than two hours of screen time a day. And then sure. we go and put them behind a zoom screen for eight mm -hmm. hours yes. and, watching my children's um, mental health through that, it really messed with them. Yes. And uh, I've always known that when they watch television or something afterwards, they're kind of a little bit of a mess there. I don't know what to do, I, I'm bored, it's a lot. It's just, uh -huh. it's very stimulating. It's very and stimulating. so then you put them behind the screen. So, you know, I was very much a proponent of returning to school as quick as we possibly could um, for a development standpoint. Yes. But I think Lisa makes a great point that there are children who very much benefit uh -huh. um, their, from school, from social interactions. And all children need it, whether they uh -huh. acknowledge it or not. Uh -huh. But I think some children, you know, they assimilate very quickly. They're extroverts. Mm -hmm. They go to the playground. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, children who are more slow to warm up or um, introverted, yeah. although they need it desperately, that interaction, yeah that anxiety builds yes. and they feel safer at home. Mm -hmm. yes. And so there has become this gap mm -hmm. uh, that they've, um, they've lost not just academic skills in that year or not, you know, they have a ways to catch up, but they've also that development that normally happens through navigating social interactions. Right. We see um, that. So thankfully we are back in school, but I think that it is important for parents 
and teachers to recognize the the children who ha are struggling um, on the playground, children yes. who are struggling with their peers and not and maybe emotional outbursts or wanting to run away or leaving the classroom or you know that maybe they um, do have an element of anxiety surrounding reintegrating yes. into that into that classroom. Well, um, and I know at our school, they've made lots of changes to have school outside, classes I see. outside. Mm -hmm. I see. And uh, even last year when they returned, uh, or they were in, it was like winter, you know, I was, I said, put a coat on, put a coat on and sit outside and learn math. And that's actually what they did a hundred years ago during yeah. the Spanish mm -hmm. flu is everybody just went outside. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that we underestimate maybe how beneficial it is to make children get off their screens, yeah. um, go outside, play, mm -hmm. and just be bored a little bit. And so yes. figure it out. And at least for my children, it's difficult because it takes more effort on my part as a yeah. parent. Yeah because I can't just be like, go watch cartoons. Sure. <laughs> Mama needs a break. <laughs> but uh, it does drastically improve their mental health, Absolutely. I think. Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. I've, I've heard it said that boredom is a failure of creativity. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. And um, I think you all highlight really well the need for developmentally appropriate challenges mm -hmm. in order for children to develop independence and autonomy. Mm -hmm. And some of the isolation that has come through the pandemic has really uh, left many children without some of those natural experiences that would have helped them develop, whether that's academically, their, their ability to kind of manage and understand and regulate feelings, but also their social development, all of which uh, is obviously interconnected. And so I imagine right now teachers are really struggling and, and um, school districts and parents are really struggling to figure out what challenges are appropriate how far can we push kids with knowing that kids are different, they have different temperaments and different, you know, mm -hmm. kids need different things from us. As I'm hearing you all talk as well, I'm thinking, I'm sure many of the teachers might be experiencing some of these same things. Mm -hmm. And I wonder what, if any, um, uh, anything that you've seen in that regard. So. They, they definitely are, <laughs> <laughs> right? Because teachers are bringing all of their anxiety and loss in their personal lives. Uh -huh. um, it, it feels like everybody now seems to know of somebody mm -hmm. who has passed because of COVID, complications yes. from COVID. Yes. Um, you know, whereas a year ago, we weren't all able to say that. Now it seems like more of us are able to say, yes, I, I do, whether it's a family member, a friend, a friend of a friend, but we, we all have a link to mm -hmm. someone now. And so all of the stress that you feel in your personal life and trying to manage your own family and and losses and your own anxieties and fears and you know uncertain things that you're not sure about but then coming to work yeah. and your work is to work with students sure. who are bringing the exact same things yes. to the classroom yes. and so everybody is trying to figure out where that sweet spot is of mm -hmm. making everyone feel as safe and comfortable as possible so we yes. can get some learning yes. <laughs> done, right? Yes. Because yes. we're trying, like you mentioned yes. earlier, we're trying to get back to normal. We're trying yes. to move forward academically. Yes. We're trying yes. to bring kids back and, and help them make some gains socially and academically. But those teachers are, they're bringing the exact same stories to the table as their students are. And so it's, it's 
definitely a challenge right now. Um, we have teachers who are leaving the profession, yes. just as many healthcare workers are leaving yes. the profession, many yes. educators are leaving the profession if they have the means to do so, yes. um, other options, and it's hard for administrators to, um, to help manage those stress levels on their campuses, and so they're, they're looking for ways to alleviate some of that stress, to emphasize self-care, to bring in, you know, behavior specialists or counselors to work with students and, and try to fill in that gap. So yes. very stressful on the teacher side. Yes, absolutely. Teachers and healthcare workers have really been, uh, you know, in some of the most stressful roles throughout the course of this pandemic, without a question. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm wondering at, at this point um, in our discussion, uh, what it is, if anything, that we are hopeful about and that we are looking forward to um, and, and would like to sort of give, even if we're as bold as some advice to schools, to parents, to teachers about, um, you know, how, how we, we do this well moving forward. Because the reality is we're talking about a collective trauma that we have all been through together. And even hearing us talk today, there's a lot of feelings. You know, we're remembering things that I had forgotten about, for example, reflecting on some experiences that, that you all have had and that type of thing. And this has changed us. It's changed us personally. It's changed us as a society. Our kids are different now. And there's a lot that we are going to learn and, and need to learn as we move forward. But what message do we have for those of us who are working for, with children and for families about looking forward, about why we should have hope and what can help? I'm definitely um, I, on the more optimistic, hopeful side. Um, I think a lot of pediatricians, we are, because that's kind of part of picking this profession. Children are incredible. They're resilient. They adapt. They love and they give. And it's I love working with children. And mm -hmm. I think that a lot of adults can take their cues from their kids or watching kids um, adapt. They're much, they're much better at it than we are. Uh, and so, you know, I'm not, I'm not blind to the challenges that many, many people face and, and that we have kind of tried to adapt through also. But, you know, I think it's really important that we all, like you said, acknowledge that, that nobody is immune to the challenges of, of COVID to isolation and um, the stress, there's this underlying bubbling stress that we all kind of feel mm -hmm. through this, mm -hmm. that, um, you know, even just the, do you have your mask, right? Like that's such a, it's such a small yeah. thing, but we're all like everywhere we go, do you have a yeah. mask? Oh, where's my mask? And it's that new thought process that we never had before. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that in, in ways that you can acknowledge that is very important and and really being grateful and praise the people you see working hard. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, I do think that we put so much on teachers. Mm -hmm. Children can't learn mm -hmm. if they don't feel safe, if they don't feel, um, you know, if they're not in a, in a state of mind that allows them to learn. Um, yes. they're, that trauma, that anxiety actually prevents them from learning. So, you know, we expect a teacher to teach our kids. Um, hmm. But before that, then we also expect them to treat all of the potential stress uh, mm -hmm. and until, and, you know, until they can get there to teach mm -hmm. the kids. So, um, and teachers, like Lisa mentioned, have their, bring in their own and there's 
for their own stress, just like healthcare workers and everyone else. And they're supposed to leave it at the door, yeah. focus on the kids and then go home and deal with their own stress. So I think really acknowledging the people in your lives that you see, your teachers, um, first responders, who are, like, and the people who check out your groceries and mm -hmm. you, know, you go to the post office, they, they can't do their jobs from home. That's right. And so I really think that as a community, it's important to just really praise people for what they're doing yeah. and, and you being appreciative for that. In terms of hope going forward, one of, the, one of my tactics <laughs> uh, on the, as uh, someone who advises our kids' school has been, um, especially over the last few months, is that as much as you can continue to socialize and have some normalcy uh, at school, try and do it in a way that's safe. So outdoor interaction is super mm -hmm. important. Mm -hmm. um, if that's possible to move things out onto the playground, move, you know, plays, homecoming dances, mm -hmm. um, sports, everything that they can do and that mm -hmm. is normal, yes. trying to adjust and adapt for that and allowing families and parents on campuses, which we take for granted that like, I've never seen my children, my kindergarten's class, kindergartner and first grade's classroom. I've never yes. been on campus for that. Yes. So um, I think that those are really important ways to, to be hopeful in bringing back things that we know we can do safely. Thank you so much. How about you? I think a couple things. Um, I think gratitude mm -hmm. is a great place mm -hmm. for the development and growth of hope. Mm -hmm. And I think if we start with gratitude and just a, um, you know, just a simple practice of parents asking their kids for one thing that they're grateful for that day and parents mm -hmm. sharing back and having that interaction. Absolutely. And it's something that we can do. And, and, you know, many teachers do that with their students as yeah. well. Um, I think that's a good place to ground our, our kids, our children in um, creating, you know, positive chemical reactions in the body, mm -hmm. right? When mm -hmm. we move and in, shift into gratitude. And so um, that shift physically kind of helps our, our brain look to the positive and the hopeful. Mm -hmm. And so that's a, a great place to start. That costs nothing that uh -huh. we can all do. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think um, one of the other things that we can look at for you know just being hopeful is as families coming together and saying, you know, what are some things that we look forward to? And, and I, I, for me, I always call it anticipatory joy. Mm -hmm. What am I going to plan for myself in the future that I'm going to get really excited about and mm -hmm. it's going to make me happy between now and the time it actually happens? Mm -hmm. And so what timeline is a family looking at for when they will mm -hmm. engage in activities that they enjoy, you know, whether it's, you know, whether it's a vacation, right? Cause I'm a travel lover mm -hmm. like you are, or whether it's a meal out at a restaurant they haven't been to in a long time, mm -hmm. what are their benchmarks to make that happen? You know, and, and that's gonna look different for every family, but decide what needs to be in place. Is it is it the rate of COVID infections going down? Is it the number of people vaccinated going up? What's going to make you feel safe enough to do those things? And then start planning for them and looking forward to them because that return to some of those things, those just regular activities that we took for granted until they were taken away from mm -hmm. us. <laughs> um, I think that that can be really helpful and, helpful and cultivate a lot of hope mm -hmm. and optimism in our children. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, when I, I think about hope, I, 
think of just this experience we've gone through collectively as providing opportunity to have deeper discussions with children and um, children oftentimes need to make meaning of their experience. And I think this, this has just caused, um, it's just created, I guess, a great opportunity to parent, for parents to have these um, harder conversations about suffering, about loss, um, and parents to also model their own hope and what grounds them and show their kids kind of um, in a different way that may have not happened in the past. And I think this, the last two years has brought up so much um, socially, not just in the healthcare system, but there's just been so much that has happened in the last couple of years that maybe there wouldn't have been an opportunity to have these discussions. And that in itself, I think is hopeful because our children are coming into a different understanding of the world that we live in, the systems that surround us. And, um, and I think, again, as educators, healthcare professionals, um, people caring for children, it just creates more of that opportunity to help them process that. Um, and I think those are tools that they can continue to develop and, and they will use for the rest of their lives. It, yeah, that's, it's very well said. It's, it's like our children really understand our interconnectedness mm -hmm. in a way that may not have otherwise been clear uh, you know, if they hadn't have gone through this. Yeah. And it sounds like as a group, what we're, what we're suggesting is that teachers, parents, adults, first be aware of themselves, how their, their own stress is, um, is uh, impacting them so that they can kind of, to use the airplane analogy, put their <laughs> own mask on so that they can then kind of care for their, their, their children and for each other. It sounds like something else that we're talking about is the importance of staying connected and, and, and engaging in community in safe ways that are well balanced. Um, and that there is sort of a very important piece to staying connected with one another that will help our kids develop. The other piece that I think is really critical is that we have adapted. We are here now and we are doing okay, even though this has been hard. And then our kids need to know that, that we are okay that we will be okay and that we will continue to adapt um, as we have demonstrated over this past two years. Mm -hmm. And if we can do that, if we can kind of embody those things, that there's a general sense of hope mm -hmm. that I think our kids can, um, can feel from us. Mm -hmm. I had a mentor who told me, hope is not something that can be taught. It is only a skill that can be, excuse me, it can only be caught mm -hmm. from hopeful people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really the, the, the best thing that we can do as teachers, as educators, as healthcare workers, is embody hope so that our, our students, our families, and our, and our patients feel it, uh, feel it when they're with us. So thank you all for being here today. This has been such a, such a great panel, and, and thanks for sharing your experience. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Please visit our website, claritycgc.org, for more children's mental health tips, tricks, and resources. See you next time.